My name is Leia. I'm a senior at Yale, and I'm Emma's roommate. She's sitting on the floor next to me. I'm on the futon. Am I allowed to say that? I was raised as an Orthodox Jew, which is, I guess, the most traditionalist or fundamentalist of the movements in Judaism. And I guess the fundamental kind of tenets of that movement would be the observance of Shabbat, um, which is the Sabbath. Every Friday night until Saturday night, that's a time when Orthodox Jews don't do work, not using electricity, not using a car. Basically, the day is just spent at your synagogue and then at home eating like big meals together as a family, talking and spending time without any technology. There are lots of other important laws that Orthodox Jews live by, but basically the whole idea is that your life is kind of run by this religious code which gives you a structure in your life but also places a lot of restriction on it do you consider yourself an orthodox jew anymore i don't subscribe to labels <laughs> i would say it's definitely not clear cut that i'm an orthodox jew anymore but because i wouldn't really know what other kind of jew to say i was it's kind of hard for me to say that i'm not would you have said you were an orthodox jew when you first arrived at yale yeah, absolutely. This week on Undergraduate Admissions, producer Emma Hathaway speaks with her roommate, Leia, about Leia's evolving relationship with Judaism over four years at Yale. Please be advised that this episode includes details about a sexual assault as Leia considers the factors that led to changes in her faith and lifestyle. Does college really change us? Or is change guided by something deeper? And if we do change during these four bright college years, how do we communicate that to the folks we left back home? This is episode 6, titled after Yale's centuries-old motto, For God, for Country, and for Yale. One time, my I don't remember whether, whether it was my dad or my mom, but I was walking home from synagogue with one of my parents, and they were like, you know, I was I was talking to the, to the rabbi, and like, he told me that, you know, the the people who have like the greatest potential to be like the biggest um in hebrew we use the word like tzaddikim which means like righteous people also have like the greatest like desires that they have to overcome and i felt like that was like my parents telling me like you want to like you really want to do a lot of shit leia like you can be better <laughs> My parents both came to religion together uh, when they were in grad school in San Diego before they were married. Because this is something they they came to themselves, um, they feel like very, very strongly in the idea of objective truth. My parents were like a lot stricter than a lot of my friends' parents. I guess when I was in high school, I became friends with these two girls who were, I don't know, kind of like rebellious girls. 
I tried to hang out with them a lot and they were always like going to the mall and like getting non-kosher food on our lunch break. Keeping kosher is a series of dietary laws. Anything that you are eating has to have been produced in a facility that is supervised by usually a rabbi or someone who knows um, the laws of kosher. My dad or my mom, I don't know who it was, someone was doing laundry and my sweatshirt was in the laundry and uh, they like looked in the pocket and there was like a receipt from Bodan San Francisco's sourdough bakery and I had gotten a chocolate croissant. <laughs> my dad like sat me down and had a talk with me about it. We found this receipt and like, I don't know, like maybe... Like, I'm sorry if, if you're hungry at school. Like, that's really bad. We'll, like, send you with more snacks or, like, whatever it was. And my mom and I never had a conversation about it. And at that point, they were going through some hard stuff with my younger brother. It really hurt my mom, and I don't think she would have done this if it hadn't been for that factor. But one time, that later that year, it was, like, a day where we were supposed to go to synagogue, and I didn't want to go to synagogue that morning. And... My mom was basically just like, I know what you did. Like, I know you're just trying to hurt me. And like, I don't love you anymore. <laughs> and then like stormed upstairs. And I was just like, ah. <laughs> and so it always felt like with my mom more so than my dad, like religious observance and love were like an affirmation. We're like very tied up with each other. The kind of traditional move for my high school or and for like orthodox kids in america in general is you apply to college as a senior but you also apply to a um, seminary or yeshiva program um, in israel and you defer ad, um, matriculation at college for a year and you go and do this like judaic studies gap year program in israel i applied to three and they were all wrong for me i pick the one that was the most prestigious and I hated the idea of it. I was accepted to Yale early. I was just like, this is what I want to do. Like I want to experience all the college things. I like want to be on my own. And my dad is like, well, we're not paying for Yale if, if you don't take this gap year. There was this like magical formula that you'd see of like normal kids would go to Israel for a year and they'd come back all sparkly and religious. Eventually, my dad was like, okay, like a compromise is that we find a better program for you because these three programs are clearly very wrong. This program, Harova, had come to present at my school. It was a much more liberal program, still Orthodox, but modern Orthodox as opposed to ultra-Orthodox. And they made a spot for me. And then I went. In a way, it was like a manifestation of my rebellion because they were like a more liberal Judaic studies program and they were like teaching all of these subjects that like all Orthodox men learn, but like in some circles, like women are not allowed to learn. Hey dad, like look what I'm doing. I'm like taking these classes. I really succeeded. I became like one of the prides of the program and was invited to do a second year. But even then, I think, I was doing a lot of, like, the outward things, but the things that, like, no one would know except me, I, like, wasn't really so strict on myself about. Like, praying three times a day, 
Like, no one would know if I did that except me. And I never did it. I arrived at you. I arrived at you. In my knee-length skirt and my no-touching no men and my, like, desire to get immediately immersed socially in the in the Jewish community at Yale, which was, you know, funnily enough, even more liberal than my modern Orthodox <laughs> Israeli gap year program. <laughs> it's wild. I was exposed to this thing called halachic egalitarianism for the first time, which just seemed like the most edgy religious movement I had ever heard of, which was these people who were like, we, like, take Jewish law very seriously and we do all the same things that, like, you Orthodox person are doing, but we believe in gender equality and we, like, pray in, like, mixed services that women can participate in instead of, like, sitting behind a partition and not participating in. And I was like, oh, well, I would never do that. Like, that seems really untraditional and, like, I'm uncomfortable with that. But I would call my dad up and be like, yeah, they really take Judaism very seriously, but they're egalitarian. How cool is that, dad? I joined the Jewish acapella group, which, you know, I kind of was like, well, I wish I was joining a different acapella group that sings music that I, like, actually really liked and that wasn't Renaissance Jewish choral music. But... At that point, I was, you know, serious about keeping Shabbat and about, like, being Jewishly involved. And, and the group was made up with, of a lot of people who I really liked, who I had met at Slipka, which is the Jewish center. And that became my, my main social circle. And I was really happy. In, like, December of my freshman year, this other freshman boy in the group and I had had this kind of, like you know, burgeoning friendship that was, you know, charged with, like, something else that I didn't quite understand. I followed the religious observance that I did not touch men. One night, he and I kissed, which I didn't regret doing. That was the the first thing that I kind of was like, you didn't actually care about doing this, and it was external. I started, like, revealing... Like, I don't know, like, coming out about the fact that, like, I touched men now to people. And, like, most people were like, okay, cool. And some people were like, whoa. And some people were like, wow, like, you're a fake person. I don't want to be friends with you anymore. <laughs> this boy and I broke up in the spring. I took it really hard. It was a, it was a messy breakup. There was a, a lot of you know, explicit spoken pressure from people where they're like, anytime anyone has dated each other and they've broken up, like, it is their responsibility to, like, make sure everything's completely fine and that they're friends and that they're not making things uncomfortable for other people in the community. So I felt a lot of pressure to to not, I don't know, to, like, not make things, like, bad for other people in that space. Mm-hmm. And that made the, that space, like, pretty hard for me to deal with sometimes. I spent my summer after freshman year 
um, living at the University of Maryland, working at the Holocaust Museum in D.C. And the University of Maryland is like a Jewish community that could not be more different than Yale. It's huge. There are enough Orthodox students that you don't have to socialize with anyone else. The statistic goes that Yale is just under 25% Jewish. But the people who are really involved in a in an observant Jewish community in any way is probably around like 40 people and that's like including grad students it kind of made me think like oh like what a different experience of an orthodox community I might have had if I had gone somewhere else which should make me feel a little down on Yale when I returned sophomore year and had to like deal with all the awkwardness of having an ex in in the community and like still not knowing how to negotiate that You know, looking back on it now, it's a breaking point. I was at a a party for members of the Jewish community in the suite of of a friend of mine from the religious community. Um, At the end of the party, after everyone else had gone, I was was sexually assaulted by uh, someone who had in the Jewish community who had formerly been a close friend of mine. And that was something that has, like, fundamentally changed um, the person that I am in, in so many ways. It's made me a, um, a much angrier person about injustices that I see about women um, against women, which ultimately makes um, being part of an Orthodox community a little more complicated. Just on a basic level, it was absolutely miserable to have to try and observe some sort of, like, religious devotion in a place with, like, someone who had been so absolutely inconsiderate of of you. And to have to, like, socialize within your small, you know, 40-person religious community um, who was supposed to be your, like, primary friend group when there was an important member of that community that you didn't want to talk to or be near um, and you didn't want to hear people talk about. It made me angry about, like, hypocrisy. How can you claim to be a member of, of an Orthodox community who's, like, always striving to, like, you know, get close to God and, like, follow traditions and there are all these laws about how you have to treat other people and then do this to someone. And it made me feel like, okay, well, you know, is any of this real? Just logistically, you know, I was communicating with the Title IX organizer at Yale to negotiate space. Being friendly with with my assailant and being members of the same small community made me hesitant to try and take really aggressive action against him. Title IX is the system in place at Yale um, which deals with um, issues of sexual assault, misconduct, um, and like harassment. What Title IX can do is kind of negotiate a no contact order. And it made my life like a logistical hell. Um, Because we were negotiating, you know, what time he was allowed to walk into services and how that corresponded to what time I was allowed to walk into services and what time he was allowed to be at lunch in the one kosher dining hall and what time I was allowed to be at lunch in the one kosher dining hall. 
you know, all these things that, like, made sharing that space with him completely take over my life. And I was also dealing with the Orthodox rabbi who was both of our, you know, he was the, the religious leader for both of us. I don't remember whether I told him or whether the Title IX person told him, but there were, like, lots of things that we needed help negotiating, and so it just made sense to tell him. And that was really hard because I didn't feel like he was on my team, you know, because he wasn't allowed to just be on my team. He had to be an advocate for both of us equally. And I felt like, well, if you don't condemn him, you can't be supporting me. Like his name would come up in conversation all the time, you know, when people were like saying nice things about him. And, and it just made me feel like really alone. I started to seek out other communities that were not the religious community at Yale. I stopped feeling reliant on that community's affirmation. You know, I was already in a place where I felt so alone and like observing these Jewish rituals alone was making me even more alone. And so one by one, I kind of started to like drop them. I would like do things in secret for a long time before I would like start to like tell or show other people that I had done it. So I would like go on Tinder on Shabbat and like talk to people just so that I was like communicating with people, but like they didn't know who I was, so they had no expectations of me. You know, I wouldn't be like texting my close friends. I was just much more concerned with other people thinking that I was like a sellout. Summer after my junior year, I went abroad to London with a group of Yale students, none of whom I knew. I don't have to introduce myself as like, hi, I'm Leia, here are all the weird things you have to accommodate me doing. I can just say like, hi, I'm Leia, and do all the same things that they were all doing. I spent the first Shabbat in London with a family friend. After that, I didn't keep a single Shabbat in London. I never mentioned to anyone in my group that I ever had. I bought my first pair of pants. I ate whatever I wanted to. I was deliriously happy. I came back to Yale and I was like, I want to give up these things that were like so fun. I don't know if I went into Slifka like ever during first semester of senior year, except for for my acapella group rehearsal. I don't know if I ate a single meal there. I certainly haven't been to a single Shabbat thing there this year. It was funny, I was talking to a friend of mine from London. She was gonna come visit me over winter break and stay at my house. And I was like, okay, like before you come to my house, like here are the things you have to know about my family. And I explained that like my parents were Orthodox and she was like, I don't understand, like, but you don't do those things. And I was like, well, like, the second that you met me was, like, the first time in my life that I wasn't doing those things. Anytime I have made a religious change, I've never felt a shred of guilt about it. Like, not a single thing, not a single one. As a person in general, I forgive myself for a lot of stuff, so that's probably part of that. But I also think that part of me has, like, not wanted to do this stuff for, like, a really long time. And so it is a relief 
to not be doing it and to realize that I don't have to like be bound by like fear of, of judgment. I should just do things how I want to. You know, when I'm home, I wear clothes that won't make my parents too mad. Um, I still like use my phone in my room on Shabbat, but I would never do anything, you know, kind of blatant to make them upset because I know it really hurt them so much and, and that's really not something I would ever want to do. I just think back to that, you know, time when my mom like lashed out at me and like told me that she didn't love me anymore and I worry that that like that conversation is like the end of of me being able to have a relationship with her. Theoretically, could things have been different? I could have not been like brave enough to tell my dad I didn't like my gap year program and, and I could have gone to this like right wing program and I could have just like gone through that system and not gone to Yale and like gotten married at 20 and, and like gone into this life. Like theoretically, like it's not impossible that that had happened. But I think that looking back on it, because I've thought a lot about like, did Yale change me? Like, is this Yale's fault? And I don't, I don't think so. I think that like Yale kind of gave me an opportunity to like do a thing that I've been trying to do since I was a little kid. And I don't know what it is about me. I don't know what wires someone to be spiritual or wires someone to want to be religious. I don't think I'm really a person who's like wired to like think about God that much. You know, I don't identify, like, as an atheist. I also don't identify as an agnostic, even. Like, I'm Jewish. I, I always just think it was more about people. I always just think it was more like, this is what, like, my community thinks is important. And so, like, this is what I'm going to do. When I told my parents I'd been sexually assaulted, which I was I had not been planning to do, um, and then I, I got really sick and I had to go home, right right after that um and I was really scared and so I, I called my I called my dad and I told him we had a you know some conversation you know my my both my parents and and they were like well why would why would someone ever like think of of doing that to you you like never put yourself like in that kind of context like why would someone have have thought that like they could do that to like an observant girl like you and I just kind of had to be like well nothing that was done that night was something that I hadn't done before in a consensual context and they were just like okay and it felt like that was an opportunity for me to reveal you know a little bit that I had changed because it was kind of under this umbrella of like unconditional love and support in like the hardest challenge of my life. They could forgive things of me that they might not otherwise forgive. This is producer Emma Hathaway taking the mic back from Leah, largely to thank her for her openness and her deeply thoughtful and articulate reflections. I will dearly miss being her roommate.
Undergraduate Admissions was produced in English 471 at Yale University. Special thanks to our professor, Mark Oppenheimer, and our audio gurus, Brian Paws and Phoebe Petrovic. To hear more episodes, check us out at uapodcast.com. As always, if you have any questions or comments, shoot us an email at contact at uapodcast.com. Thanks for listening.